Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And uh, I don't know if you caught that, but uh, I don't know if you're like me. Where I was sitting, uh, when Adam started reading, I couldn't hear him. And then the Holy Spirit came upon him, and then I could hear. Okay, I'm joking around a little bit. Um, Okay. Let's just have some real talk here for just a minute. Let's just, get, let's just get perfectly, perfectly aligned with one another before we go into this text. This is a text that scares conservative evangelical Christians, right? Can we all just admit that, right? Uh, the, whole, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues. Uh, let's just all admit that it makes us a bit nervous, okay? It does. You know, you, you you can sit there and say that it doesn't. Listen, I, I, I get it. If Depending on which way the pastor goes with this text, right, uh, it's a slippery slope. You, pastor, it's a slippery slope. You know, you, you preach about this just one way, and next thing you know, next Sunday we're all going to be slain in the Spirit. And then, you know, you give it some more time, the next thing you know we're going to be passing snakes around in church, right? I get it. I hear what you're saying. Uh, this makes people really nervous in churches like ours. I get it. So I, I can see what's going to happen. I can, see, uh, I can see the look on some of your faces. You're like, all right, listen, let's get a hostage negotiation team in here right now. We're all hostages. We're going to have to, okay, pastor, just, just put down the text and back away. Put down, don't preach on this. Don't just, let's just skip Acts chapter 2. And if we can just skip Acts chapter 2, tell you what we'll do, pastor. You can have an extra week's vacation. We'll all repent of three sins. Let's just close the thing by singing, just as I am, we'll all walk the aisle. Let's pray and get out of here, right? (laughs) There's always one. No, this text is challenging for for folks like us. It's challenging for folks like us. Now, I get it. Uh, We've got all different kinds of people that, that we got all different kinds of people at Delaware Bible Church. And some of you grew up in uh, more charismatic churches. Um, some of you, uh, you're, part, you're one of us. You know, you're part of the frozen chosen. I saw the worship team up here. Somebody raised their hand. And we're going to talk later. That's all I'm saying. I'm gonna be, we're going to have some counseling this week. No, I'm teasing. Anybody that's new, I'm teasing. It's just funny to, it's funny to, it's humorous to me to, to be honest with each other and realize that there's certain things about church life that kind of make us uncomfortable, and um, and there's sometimes there's really good reasons for that. Uh, but let's just be honest with each other about it. We'll get more into that as we go. The reality of the situation is this is a key text in a key book. Acts is a hinge. That's what many theologians describe the book of Acts. It's a hinge between the Old Testament, right, and the gospel time, and the the church the initiation of Christ's church and so there's oftentimes we talk about the book of Acts as there's a lot of things in the book of Acts that are descriptive but not prescriptive in other words just because they're speaking in tongues in the text today doesn't mean that speaking in tongues should be normal necessarily for the church today Uh, and there's other people that disagree with that but um, the book of Acts and, and specifically Acts chapter 2. If, if Acts chapter 2 doesn't happen, then there is no Delaware Bible Church. Because it, it's, it's the text that we look to as the, the, the initiation, the foundation 
of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus left this earth. He ascended into heaven. He, he told the disciples, I'm going to send you the helper. And, um, and, and today the helper, in, the, in our text today, the helper is going to arrive. So the big question that we're going to wrestle with today is this. How does the initiation of the church help us to understand uh, how it should function today? How does it help us to understand how it should function today? And I've, I've got this boiled down into about three points um, because I'm, uh, I got a Baptist background, and that's why. It's three point. So nobody gets my jokes. Why? Okay, I'm trying. First, first point is the Marvin Hintz point. I call it the Marvin Hintz point. God is awesome, right? I mean, we read this text, we read this text, and we see stuff going on that, that is not normal in our everyday life and existence. And, and, we recognize that it's God that's doing this, and so it points to the, the power of God at work in the lives of people. Now, let's just, let's just start here for a minute. Let's talk about Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? Pentecost is otherwise known as the Feast of Weeks. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very laden in Jewish tradition with meaning. It means uh, it's the time of the wheat harvest. So, you know, back then, it's not like today. Back then, they couldn't go to Kroger. They couldn't go to Meyer. They had to grow their food and, or, or depend on a local farmer to grow food. And so when the wheat harvest came, it was a time of celebration because we were going to have, we're going to have sustenance. We're going to have provision. But uh, it's also 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, that, that key pivotal celebration in the Jewish, in Jewish life where they were celebrating the uh, the, the passing over of the angel of death, the angel of the Lord, and um, the people keep being released, the Egyptian people, the Israelites being released out of Egypt. So it's a key fundamental day. Fifty days after the day of Pentecost, we have the day of, or fifty days after the day of Passover, we have the day of Pentecost. It's also celebrated in, in Jewish tradition as the day when Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai. So there's a lot of there's a lot of meaning in the Jewish faith behind Pentecost. And of course, in, in the Gospels, Jesus died when? Passover, right? He resurrected and, and He ascended into heaven. And today, on this, on this day in the text of Passover, 50 days after the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the church is going to begin. The church is going to be initiated. Now, God is awesome. What do we see in this text? We see signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Things that are not normal in our day-to-day -day existence. And we see, I broke this down into a couple, different, a couple of different subcategories. One is outward. We see outward signs. What's the text say? It says, when, they, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, the they, who's the they? They refers to what was talked about at the end of chapter 26, right? Um, Matthias, he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So you've got the, the 12 they were all together in one place. It might also be uh, the, bigger, the bigger number, but uh, they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Let's just pause there for a minute. Have you ever had this experience? I'm sure you have. You live in Ohio, where uh, you're outside. It's a nice, warm summer's day. The sun is shining, and all of a sudden you're getting poured on with rain, right? And you're looking around going, 
I mean, there's rainbows everywhere. You know, you're looking around, and it's sunny out. And then you look up at the sky, maybe straight up, and you say, okay, there's, there's one cloud passing above me. But this is kind of weird because it's raining, pouring down on me, and, uh, and it's sunny out. Well, this, what they're experiencing is something kind of odd like that. It's the sound of rushing wind, but it doesn't say there's any wind. It's the sound of rushing wind. That would be a very, I mean, your brain detects these things, right? Your brain would have detected that, uh, that okay, I, I hear wind, it's, but there's nothing going on. And so they, they hear the sound of rushing. Now, what, is the, what does wind represent? What, what, what can we, why is that going on? Well, you got to know to understand this, that in Greek, the word for spirit and the word for wind, same word. Same word. The Greek, for, the Greek word for spirit and the Greek word for uh, wind is the same word. And so that, that sound of rushing wind is probably being used by God to, to let them know that the Holy Spirit is coming. Holy Spirit is coming. Uh, growing up on the farm, uh, wind was one of my least favorite weather conditions because it meant my back was going to hurt. Because in the warm weather, it meant my back was going to hurt from running the chainsaw from all the tree limbs that fell down. And in the cold weather, it meant my back was going to hurt from all the snow that I'd have to shovel to get to the, to get to the various places on the farm that we needed to go. So uh, high wind was not my friend growing up. But in this case... The wind, the sound of the rushing wind was bringing in the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if we just stopped there, if, if God had just stopped there and just made the sound of wind with no wind, everybody would go, well, this is weird, but okay. But then there's a sign number two, this outward sign number two. What's it say? Verse three, and divided tongues as of fire. Now remember, it doesn't say tongues of fire it says divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them i'm imagining that that's that's something that i'm imagining in my mind this is speculation that it's something that looks like a tongue looks like fire you know it's flaming but it's it's resting on them and not burning them it's probably why the the author said it's a not uh, it's tongues as of fire right rested on each one of them. Now, I don't care who you are, you can hear wind blowing in the, in, the, in the distance and not feel the breeze, but when you see tongues of fire resting on 12 guys, that ain't... Listen, I, you, get, you don't get up on Tuesday and see that, right? That's not normal. That's weird. And so, uh, this is obviously God's supernatural signs and wonders at work. Now, Oftentimes in the, in the Bible, fire has, represents many things, but uh, you read a text like this and your mind goes back to places like Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist is speaking and he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? What? The Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I'm not pretending to understand fully that text in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. But because scholars, uh, Bible scholars don't really agree all that much on what that text means. But at least 
we can at least pull away from that a couple of things. That, God, that baptism, you know, what we practice back here in this tank, baptism, when we baptize someone, we immerse them. In fact, in seminary, they, they trained us. They said, you got to make sure that you get them all the way under. <laughs> I, I said, well, what happens if you don't get them all the way under? It's like round two, you know. Just, but then we're Anabaptists. We rebaptize, right? <laughs> Nobody gets my jokes. No, but seriously, it means immersion. That's what, baptize, that's what baptism means. And so we can see what's going on here on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is coming. And so these, these believers, these, these apostles are being baptized. They're being immersed into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming into their lives, and uh, they're being immersed in it. But what does it mean to be baptized with fire? Fire is often used and spoken about in Scripture as a way to purify right? To purify, to cleanse. You, you purify gold over a fire, and you, you, you heat it up and melt it, and then you, you skim off the dross, and then you get the fire hotter, and you skim off the dross again. And if you get the fire even hotter, and then you fi- finally skim off the, the last remaining dross, then that, that gold is pure, and it's almost clear. And so one of the things that the Bible points out to us over and over again in James and other places is that when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, we, we are reoriented to this life and we understand perhaps what the unbelievers in the world don't understand, which is this. And this is key to the Christian life. If you don't get this, then the Christian life is going to be so hard for you. We understand that the trials and the difficult circumstances that come at us every day are not because God hates us, not at all. But we understand that the trials and the circumstances that come at us every day are because God loves us. And He's allowing us to go through these things, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we can have a right understanding of what these trials are, a right understanding of God's Word, so that we can grow through them. I mean, there's that old saying, right? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And we say that all the time, and yet oftentimes we just want to escape from the difficulties of life. But God is baptizing us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the way that God does it is so tender, so kind. Oftentimes, He is working with us, helping us through these times, growing us into what? into the image of the only one that is pure, into the image of Christ. The Bible makes that clear over and over again. So this fire that's resting on them probably represents this purifying fire in our lives. So they have outward, they have outward signs and wonders, but they also have, <coughs> excuse me, they also have inward um, signs. They're speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit has come upon them, <clears throat> and they're speaking in tongues. In the Old Testament, the Holy, the, the God, God took, took up residence with His people, Israel, first in the tabernacle and then in the, whole, in the uh, temple, as manifesting as what? A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. But now, there is no temple. There is no tabernacle. God's presence has taken up lives in us. We are now living stones in a new temple. 
It's amazing. We no longer have to travel to Jerusalem to go to the priest and have the priest mediate up to us, uh, for us on God's behalf and, and have him go into the holy place or the holy of holies. We now have the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives and we have direct access to God through prayer. We can pray to God. We can, we can seek forgiveness from God. We can, we can ask him for things directly. We're so much better off than Old Testament Israel, brothers and sisters. Because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the lives of the people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin. It's amazing. And how that manifested itself, how the Holy Spirit manifested Himself in the lives of these people were, in the lives of these people in Acts chapter 2 was they began to speak in tongues. Now remember, what mission did God give the apostles? You will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here on the day of Pentecost, a festival day, a holiday for the Jews, when people, the text tells us, from every Every group under heaven, all the Jews from every group came together in uh, uh, Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. All these different language groups, the apostles get up and they start speaking in tongues. They're speaking, and, and listen, my mind goes crazy thinking about this. When I uh, took Spanish in high school and a little bit in college, I could eke out, you know, I, sometimes I would go to a mission trip to South America and I, you know, where's the bathroom? I could get that, you know. When's lunch? You know, the, the important things, you know. I, but uh, but, but I'm, I found myself still thinking in English. Have you ever experienced I'm thinking in English, but I'm trying to speak in Spanish, and I'm translating, and so it's very broken and, and stunted and stilted. These guys, I don't know, were they speaking in their native tongue, and yet what, what everybody was hearing was a different language? The Bible says they were speaking in tongues. So uh, perhaps it was that they really were. Maybe their brains were speaking, you know, they were speaking, uh, their brains were operating in their language, but was coming out of their mouth supernaturally was different languages. It's amazing. Let's talk just for a quick second about things that are supernatural, right? Oftentimes, the unbelieving world will point at the Bible and and exhibit A that they will give in discrediting God's word as being valid is it contains that which is supernatural. That's their number, that's oftentimes exhibit A in why the Bible is false. But that's not a good argument, right? Have you ever thought about this? That's not a good argument. Why? Because if God is who we think he is, who the Bible says he is, then he's the creator of this universe. And if the creator of the universe, the one that made the very rules of physics, the very rules of nature, the laws of nature, if, if he is the one that set those in place, then surely he is able to violate them, to pierce through them, and to deliver a message. And so, if you believe that God as we do, that God is the creator of the universe and is sovereign, he's in control over all his creation, then when we hear that something supernatural has occurred, we tend to reach the opposite understanding, that God has intervened in a situation. And the more unusual the event and the more witnesses that there are, the more likely, the more likely we are to attribute it to something God has done. 
So, we are not to put him in a box. We are not to put him in a box. Uh, people, uh, one, of the, one of the common questions that I get is, you know, do you, do you believe that uh, someone could speak in tongues today? Like the apostles did in, in Acts chapter 2. And, uh, you know, I, I say to them, I say, he could. Uh, a person could. But remember what the purpose was back then. Back in the apostles' day, we didn't have the New Testament. Right? The gospel was not, the good news of Jesus Christ was not yet written down. It was still in, it was still being transmitted orally. You know, people were telling it to, to one another. And so here you have a beautiful situation. In God's orchestrated plan, Pentecost was happening. People were gathering from different language groups all over the known world. They were gathering in Jerusalem for Pentecost. The apostles come out and they begin to speak in tongues and declare the mighty works of God to all these folks who would then, once Pentecost was over, presumably travel back to their, to, to their countries of origin, travel back to the regions where they live. And what would they carry with them? Not only would they carry the good news, but they would say, get a load of what I saw. I heard rushing wind. I saw flames of fire resting on these men. And they spoke and they declared these wonderful, this wonderful news that I will now share with you. You'll believe me? I can, listen, uh, we'll, let's go back next Pentecost and, and, and you'll hear from the people that were there. It happened. And so let me just uh, take a minute to, to take a pause here for just a minute and, and say this. Um, I want to humbly admit to you this morning that I have I believe that I've been guilty from time to time of, of um, being a little bit too harsh on our charismatic brothers and sisters. And let me just qualify. When I say brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm talking about people who would hold the same beliefs that we do, at least on level one doctrines. You know, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to make pay, payment for our sin. That He rose again on the third day. You know, uh, all of those fundamental things that one must believe to be a Christian, that, that we would hold those things uh, in unity together, but we would disagree on uh, the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit within the church. I've been a little bit too harsh on them. And so let me, let me just say this. While I would exhort my charismatic, you know, what we would call charismatic, by, by the way, I, I always, I, sometimes I just think a funny thing. Have you ever heard, have, have you ever been talking to somebody else in this church and um, they talk about a, a church that's more of a charismatic church down the street or something like that, and they say, yeah, that's, a, that's the XYZ Pentecostal church. They're spirit-filled, almost as a derogatory term. They're a little bit more spirit-filled than we are. You know what I mean? They're spirit-filled. Brothers and sisters, we're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are all filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? So let's not use that as a derogatory term. But, but let's be honest in that, that, that our brothers and sisters in more charismatic-leaning churches, they may be guilty of neglecting doctrine uh, to try and putting their efforts towards manifesting the supernatural acts of God in the church. That may be a valid concern that we have for them. But we also need to, to own our part in this deal too, which is that churches like ours are, are sometimes guilty of neglecting 
or, or thinking that God is unable to somehow do something because we're so focused on manifesting the perfect doctrine. So let's, let's be humble and, and understand that Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, the rushing in of the Holy Spirit and the flames of fire resting on these guys and them speaking in tongues, that's where we come from. That's the church that, that's the church, that's the initiation of the church that brought us here today. And so let's not put God in a box. There are definitely abuses on the charismatic side and they're well documented and uh, we can talk about them. But, uh, but let's not put God in a box. Secondly, miraculously, amazingly, God works through His people. Look at verses 4 through 8. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then he goes on to list kind of the different regions. And those are vast regions that these various people, these Jews, are from. God works through his people. God, the God of the universe, the God that created all this, God has chosen to work through us. Yeah, knuckleheads like me and you. God has decided. And in fact, I, you know, listen, I'm a country boy, so I, I, maybe I'm taking this a little bit too personally, but when these guys responded, these men that were hearing the, the, this message, when they responded, are not all those who are speaking Galileans Yes, God can even work through Galileans. Now, why, why do you think they said that? Well, if you travel to, to Israel today, like right now, if you travel there and you get off the plane, probably in Tel Aviv, a big city, you can travel to Jerusalem, which is a decent-sized city. But if you set your compass, uh, your GPS, and you travel straight north, you're going to hit the region of Galilee. And it, even to this day, it's redneck country. It's the sticks. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of buildings and stuff and you know not a lot of place not a lot of uh, population density up in that region and so that's where these guys were from they were from you know what we the American equivalent of would be like rural you know where I'm from Francisville Indiana you know where we all kind of talk funny and our vocabulary is limited because we just don't have good schools there you know and so. These are Galileans. These are not educated men. Most of them are, you know, fishermen class. And God, because they've submitted themselves and they followed Jesus, God is working through them in a powerful way. They were speaking in different tongues. And again, I've already mentioned what the purpose the purpose was. Uh, our best understanding is that God was using these men at these times to get His word out to the world. And so, what were they doing? They were declaring the mighty works of God. They were declaring the mighty works of God. That was their job. Jesus told them that. You'll be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? The feeding of the 5,000. 
the walking of water, the healing of the sick, the cleansing of the leper, the, the, the restoring of sight to the blind. His brutal, torturous death on the cross and His resurrection victoriously triumphing over sin and death on the third day. That's what they, they're testifying to all these things and telling them that they can have they can have the forgiveness of sin. They can receive this through Jesus, through trusting Him as their Savior and adopting Him as their Lord. God works through us. I don't know. I, I, I pray that that understanding humbles you and also inspires you that no matter who you are in this congregation, no matter what talent set God has given you, uh, that he, can, he will, He can use you if you will submit your life to Him and get on board with His mission. All right, now we just got all, we just got all jazzed up, right, about, about all this miraculous stuff that's going on. And this third point, admittedly, it's, it's, it's kind of a downer, but it's important. God's work is divisive. Now, I don't want to confuse you at all. Because there are scriptures in the New Testament that talk about that we should separate ourselves from divisive people. But you've got to look at the context of those verses. Those verses oftentimes are talking about within the context of the local church. That people that are trying to be divisive within the church by bringing in false teaching or bringing in this or, or just creating controversies needlessly. Those people, we are to, uh, to discipline those people and to deal with them in a particular way. I'm talking about as the gospel of Jesus Christ encounters the culture. We're going to see in this text that, 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 that when the gospel goes out, it, it really does divide people into a couple of different groups. Let's read it. So the, they're saying all these things. They're declaring the mighty works of God. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. You see, you have group number one here. Group number one is the questioning group. They're, they're watching these guys, these 12 guys. They are declaring the mighty works of God, and they're hearing them in their own native tongue, despite the fact that they're all Galileans. Not only that, but they've heard the sound of rushing wind, although they maybe didn't feel any wind blowing. But even more crazy than that is that these guys, as they're speaking, have tongues that look like flames resting on them. And they're looking on at this scene, and they're saying to themselves, what does this mean? And I would argue with you this morning that these folks, this first group, is the group that is open to hearing the message. I think of texts like John 3. You can, I don't have time to go into this today, but Nicodemus. Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Yes, Nicodemus was a, a, a learned man. He was a man of, of a position in the community. And he went to Jesus by night, and, he, and he, he was seeking. He was asking questions. And Jesus was ministering to him. I think of uh, Matthew, 10, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 15, um, which describes what I've always talked about as a, as a person of peace. You know, he was, Jesus is instructing the disciples. When you go into a community, if, if you find a, a household and you, 
your peace rests upon them, then stay there. But if not, if you don't find anybody like that, shake the dust off of your feet and get out of there. What does that mean? It means when you find, when you begin a conversation with someone or you talk to someone about, about God and Jesus and, and all of the things, the mighty works that God has done, sometimes you will encounter a person who is genuinely interested and questioning. Invest your time there. Sometimes you'll encounter a different kind of person, a person who, who says, don't, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear any of this stuff. Um, I, go away. And that's not a person of peace. And uh, you pray for that person, definitely, but, but uh, it's going to be kind of fruit, futile for you to invest your time there. So we have this first group that's questioning, but we have this second group that's mocking. And, I, and I, again, I want to call your attention. I want you to place yourself in the scene. There's 12 guys. They've got flames resting on them, tongues that look like flames resting on them. They're speaking, despite the fact that they're Galileans, we've heard the rushing wind, they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking, and I'm hearing them in my language, despite the fact I know where they're from. And someone actually has the audacity to look upon that scene and say, they're just drunk. Question. This is a question for the congregation. You feel free to answer. Are, is, are the ones that are mocking in that particular moment, are the ones that are mocking and saying they're just drunk, they've been filled with new wine, are they being intellectually honest? Are they be, These guys have tongues of fire resting on them. Are they being intellectually honest? Is that a valid explanation of what's going on? It's not. And folks, that is the world that we live in today. When we, find, when we encounter or when someone encounters God's Word or, or the things that are contained therein, um, there are a host of folks on this planet who will construct a narrative that is anti-supernatural, naturalistic to try to explain what God has done. So they constructed a narrative. They don't understand what's going on. Instead of questioning, what does this mean? What's going on? They, they go, these guys are drunk. That's got to explain what's going on here. Now I get it. It's a weird scene. I mean, I, I'm envisioning, let's say that you're a person standing in there and uh, you've got a cup of water here, just a cup of normal water. You know, it's morning time. You're just, you're, you're thirsty. You got a cup of water and these guys appear and uh, you, you, there's no, there's no tongues of fire resting on them yet, right? And they haven't started to speak, but the, you, you know, these tongues, and you take a sip of water and as you take a sip of water, you hear the sound of rushing wind and you put the water down and you look and now there's flames shooting out of these guys and they're speaking in different tongues. You probably be looking at that cup going, what did I just drink? But my point that I'm trying to make is, is that it's not what they, what these people witnessed was not explainable by the mere reality that these apostles were drunk. And we see this all the time. People, learned people, people who have degrees, people that have studied for a long period of time, will look out into the vastness and the beauty of God's creation and say, with a straight face, will look you right in the eyeball and say, an explosion happened a long time ago. 
And then through random processes over millions of years, a hummingbird. This text helps us to understand, just in a small way, the impulse that our culture has, that, that, that unbelieve, the unbelieving world has, to the bent that they have to remove God from the equation by explaining the mighty acts of God away. I wasn't able to verify this, so I, this may be me just talking and, and, and talking. The next 10 seconds could be utter foolishness, but it's my understanding that even Thomas Jefferson took his Bible and chose to edit out all the supernatural things that are contained therein. Because he couldn't believe it. Because he was enlightened. So, when God's work begins, when the gospel goes out, when the message, the mighty works of God are declared, oftentimes people will fall into one of these two groups. And we just need, I'm just, we just need to be prepared for it. And uh, I think that sometimes we think that, that, that we as Christians are going to go out into the world and we're going to have a really good experience. And, and I just want to repeat to you what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. And I'll cut down to uh, verse 51. Jesus said, Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And again, I'm talking about division of like believers and unbelievers. I'm not talking about division within the church. God clearly wants the church to be unified. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided against three. Again, uh, five, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And so we just, uh, brothers and sisters, we just need to understand that when, when the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, there are going to be those that say, I've got questions. Invest there. And there's going to be others who say, get that nonsense away from me. I can explain all that. And then what follows is probably intellectually uh, questionable. So the big question that we were wrestling with today is, what is the initiation of the church? How does the initiation of the church help us to, to understand how it should function today? Here's the, here's the answer. Uh, the initiation of the church helps us to see God's power displayed how? Through God's people. Why? To get out God's message. And then what's the effect of that message? The effect is that it often causes division. Oftentimes, you know, I don't need to preach about this much longer, but the oftentimes, you know, we wonder why we don't see God's power on display. And, and we wonder that, I think, often because we're not about the mission that God's put us here to accomplish, which is a problem. We have a mission to make disciples, to teach those disciples everything that Jesus taught us 
to, to proclaim the mighty works of God while we take, draw breath on this earth. So in terms of practical application, just have a few things to, to share with you. First of all is this, is be in awe of who God is. Be in awe of who God is. I want to challenge each and every one of you this week, at least once, this week, at least once, in your daily time with the Lord, whenever that is in whatever configuration, however you work that out, um, you know, take some time to read a passage, to read something, to, to listen to some music, to, to somehow get your mind on how magnificent and mighty and wonderful and powerful our God is. Take some time. I'm, I'm, I am convinced that part of the reason that we struggle as a church, not just our church, but churches in general, we struggle in this world is that we don't, we have an underestimated value or an underestimation of how awesome He is. Just know this, the same God who created all this, the same God who caused the plagues in Egypt, which re released Israel out of there, the same God who split the Red Sea, the same God who fell the walls of Jerusalem, the same God who empowered little David to kill mighty Goliath for daring to profane the name of God. The same God who sent His Son to teach, to heal, to work miracles, and rise from the dead, that same God is with us. It's, he's with you. And He's at work in you and through you. What does that do to your mind? What does that mean for your life? When do you ever take the opportunity to sit down and just let your mind boggle about that reality and feel the awe of who He is? Take some time this week. And uh, if you want extra credit, after you do that, tell me how it went. I'm in the directory. I'm not hard to find. Secondly, be humbled and inspired. The God of the universe, the one I just described, has decided to, to perform His ministry on the earth through you, through His people. That should humble you mightily. The God of the universe has also given you a mission to complete. You want to talk about meaning and purpose? We've got it. We've got it in spades. We have it. We've got the meaning. We've got the purpose. We've got a job here. And not only that, but because God decided to initiate this thing, this weird thing called the local church, we get to do it together within a group of people. We're not out there doing things alone. We get to do it within the context of the body. And listen, the, some of the people on this planet that I've met that struggle the most in this life are the ones that, have dis, that, have, that call themselves Christians, that have disconnected themselves from the body for long periods of time and then wonder why they struggle. I'm so thankful for each one of you. You guys in this room have skills, and I'm so glad that I can come to some of you that have, have gone through trials, and I can ask you when I'm going through something similar, that, that you'll encourage me, that I'll encourage you that we get to do this together. Where's Kimra? You're going to miss us, and we're going to miss you. 
because you've been an important part of this body, right? I'm not trying to make you cry. I'm just saying it the way it is. And I'm praying that you're going to find a body of people like us out there in New York that you can plug into and you can build them up and they'll build you up, right? I mean, that's what this is. That's this, this church thing's all about. If you're here and you your normal way of life is just to attend on Sunday, you're not in a life group, you're not plugged into a men's study or, or a men's group or a women's study, boy, take it to the next level and plug in. You'll be glad you did. Third, finally, live in such a way to cause the question. You know what I'm talking about? Live in such a way to, to bring others to the question. Are you living in such a way that when people see your life, they're going, I'm looking at your life and I'm asking myself the question, what does this mean? Why did you just love me like that? Why did you just talk to me like that? Why, what is, how, why are you raising your kids like that? Why are you loving your spouse like that? What does this mean? Live your life in that way. And when people ask you that question, then open up your mouth and you declare the mighty works of God and then watch Him work. Father, we thank You for this day, and thank You for this time that we've been able to approach this challenging text of Scripture. And I, Father, I just pray that we'll all walk out of here today with a deeper sense of awe of who You are, delight and wonder at the fact that You use us in accomplishing Your work on the earth, and that we would, we would submit ourselves to that work, that we would get on board with that work, that we would purposefully develop skills that would make us better at that work, and be about it. But Father, uh, in saying that, we also reflect on the fact that when the gospel is proclaimed, it's not always received eagerly. So Father, toughen our resolve. Uh, help our humility level to be set in such a way that when people do rebuff us or blow us off or, or what have you, that we'll just keep going. That we'll just keep out of, out of reverence and awe of who you are and a, and, a, and a delight that we get to participate in this thing called ministry, the ministry of your word, the ministry of your gospel, that we will continue on undaunted by a little bit of fear of man. And I pray these things in, in the powerful, mighty, the one in the name of the only one who could save us the one who gave his life for us, the one who rose again, showing us that he is the victor, Jesus the Christ. Amen.